to the Cinema Men Podcast. I'm your host, John Murphy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Hurdle. Konbanwa, Murphy-san. Watashi wa Amerikajin desu. Anata wa? Nani? Big Mac? Big Mac? Oh, hi. Big Mac. Hi. Biru, Nihon, onigaishimasu. Three dollars? Thirty-five? Yeah, Murphy's senpai. Straw? (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, uh, I know Japanese. (laughs) That's about all the Japanese I know. I think I said, good evening. I'm American. Um, You, how about you, John? And then you said Big Mac. (laughs) <laughs> and I said, two beers, please. And that's about it. <laughs> okay. I knew what you were saying the whole time. I was just uh, Hi. trying to make a joke out of it. <clears throat> Hi. Yeah. Watashi no Tokoro Day. Watashi no Tokoro Day. Yes. That means You're doing a podcast. At my place. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Shinjuku Eki wa doko desu ka? Can you tell um, me where Shinjuku Station is? Koko desu. It's here. Or Asoko desu. It's there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning so much and I will forget it in about five minutes. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On tonight's episode, we are reviewing the 1961 action drama thriller. Comedy. Jimbo. Huh? Comedy. Comedy. Starring Toshiro Mifune, directed by Akira Kurosawa. This is a spoiler podcast, so if you've never seen the movie and you don't want to be spoiled, pause this episode, go watch the movie, and then come back. Stay tuned until the end of the episode where we reveal what our next movie will be so you can follow along with us. If you want to get in touch with us or give you your take on a movie we have reviewed, feel free to email us at feedback at cinemamenpodcast.com or check us out on Twitter at twitter.com slash cinemamenpod. If you would like to throw some money our way and have the means to do so, you can go to anchor.fm slash cinemamenpodcast slash support. We use that money to improve the quality of the podcast. So in advance, thank you very much. If you like video, we offer that as well. You can go to YouTube and search for the Cinema Men podcast. We record live every other Tuesday at 8.30 p.m. Central Time. Uh, The best way to follow us is to subscribe to our channel and you'll know exactly when we go live. We have also started releasing a short form series every other week called the Cineminis. These are 30 minute or less episodes where we talk about movie topics and they're related to, they're usually related to the uh, previous Cinema Men episode that we did. Uh, We just did one on our favorite disaster movies and that was related to the Towering Inferno episode that we did. Yep, that uh, so, that show is also a little bit of a disaster, so sorry. <laughs> um, one last thing. 
Uh, I am a little, I have a little bit of a cold, so I apologize for the um, quality of my voice. And if I sniffle or sneeze or cough, I, I apologize in advance. So. I've got some good news for you, John. What's that? Your voice with a cold sounds better than my voice normally. So you have very little to worry about. But that probably also means that my voice with a cold probably sounds better than my normal voice. You know, that happens sometimes. I need to continually have a cold. Just go open. Well, it won't work now. I was going to say go open your windows, but it's way too hot for that to work now. Yeah. Okay. Let's get started. Let's get it started. これを買うか。よじんぼにどうだ。腕は今見せる。面白いもん見せてるか。ああ。面白いもん見せてるか。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ。ああ
prior to us beginning this podcast. I knew that John was a fan and owned several of his movies, but I have not really seen any of them except for his most famous one, which is The Seven Samurai. So this is an older movie. It's in black and white. Uh, it is a Japanese movie, one of the most famous Japanese movies, you might say, made by one of the most famous Japanese directors in Akira Kurosawa. And so it's um, it's a little different from what we're used to seeing just because it's it's an entirely Japanese made movie for a Japanese made audience. And it so I mean, if you're curious about it, that's what it is. You know, it's it's going to be all in Japanese. It's going to be subtitled. It's black and white. Um, it's also a, a critical piece of movie history. So mm -hmm. uh, if you're interested and you've never heard of it, uh, I, I really recommend you check it out. Uh, regardless of what we're going to say on this review, this is something that it's good for anybody who's a big fan of movies to to have seen and uh, just to know for reference. And even if you don't do this movie, uh, for sure, make sure you, you take a look at Akira Kurosawa because he's one of the most influential filmmakers in history, honestly. Yeah, for sure. Anything you want to add to that? Um. No, I mean, Yojimbo means bodyguard. That might be important to know. Um, and we have reviewed a movie similar to this. It's one of our actually most popular episodes, funny enough, uh, in Harakiri. So that would be good to check out if you want to um, know what that movie's about and maybe compare some of the similarities between the two movies. And of there note... Harakira Harakiri was not Akira Kurosawa. That's right. Not Even though they're both black and white samurai movies from Japan, um, yeah. it's not the same director. Uh, but both uh, critically acclaimed, well-made movies. So uh, yeah, it's it's interesting interesting to compare the two. Um, there's even an actor that plays in both movies, which is pretty, mm -hmm. pretty interesting. <clears throat> and to date of all the movies we've done on the Cinema Men podcast, Harakiri is my favorite. It's the only 10 I've given out. And I maintain that it, it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. And we're hoping that happens again, right? Now we're going to see. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so we always start with acting. Um Matt, what are your thoughts on the acting in this movie? Okay, so this one, it's a little tough for me. Uh, I felt in general that the acting was hokey and not great. Hmm. Um, the characters were all over the place and the movie's tone was all over the place. And, and as a result, you act, you get this weird mix of characters who are Goofy and don't make any sense, but also sometimes sinister, but sometimes funny. And it, it builds this weird mix. And, and the end result was that I had a really hard time knowing how to take this movie. Um, you know, I, I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be serious, if it was supposed to be like horrifying, if it was supposed to be funny, um, if it was supposed to be all of those things. But um, a lot, of, I think, of the problems I had from that was the the acting, which if, if I want to get out of the character, get out of the plot stuff and just go straight to the acting. Right. A lot of what you see in this movie is pretty blatant overacting. 
Now, there's some exceptions. Um, our main character um, included in the as an exception. He he his performance was exceptional. Um, however, some of some of your side characters, in particular, when you get into the gang members and some of the the people around town and things like that, they I don't know they they just act like they're acting. If that makes sense, they're um, they. It's not convincing. It, it's more like I'm watching a play, and I'm watching people. You know, um, okay. Well, let's go back to the Towering Inferno. If you've listened to that episode, uh, I mentioned the character played by famous dancing person, Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire. Thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. The character that Fred Astaire played. Uh, I mentioned that I enjoyed his acting, but that it was very overacted. And what I saw here was a lot of the same thing. It's it's people who make lots of wiggles and lots of gestures and movements and odd facial expressions. And I don't know, it, it just didn't sit great with me. So while there's some exceptions and there's some great acting in this movie, I felt like on the whole, it was not great acting. So I think... That all of that was on purpose. Um, I think the movie, the, the movie I can compare it the most to <laughs> is like Army of Darkness. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a horror movie, but it's also a comedy. And there's moments where there's silly stuff that happens, but then it's also intermixed with this horrific stuff that. Maybe more like Evil Dead 2, because Evil Dead 2 was uh, a little more horror with a a dash of comedy. Right. Um, And so that was what I was thinking the whole time. And it seemed to me like the characters in the movie that were silly were the anyone in the town that was unworthy of saving like all the gang members um most of the townspeople except for like the tavern keeper um were were silly Mm -hmm. and so i wondered if maybe that was on purpose just to portray you know these people are these uh you got this sake brewer and this um uh silk manufacturer in the town and this town is full of people that are already unworthy of, of saving. And then these two gang members come in into this town and take it over and split the town. And so I, I didn't have a problem with that part of it. Um, I do agree that Toshiro Mifune's performance was the most uh, as far as um, his acting was the most uh, believable and uh, non overacted or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also had uh, uh, Tetsuya Nakadai, who is the character that I referenced before. He was he played Hanshiro in Harakiri and he was the main character and completely unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in Han- in Harakiri, he looks more like what Sanjuro does in this movie. and But in this movie, he's clean shaven, he's well put together, and he's a 
completely different person, like not even close to what he was in in Harakiri. Uh, so I liked his performance here. He played more of a cowardly individual. Uh, he had a gun that he brought back from his travels and he wielded it over everybody else because he had an advantage in, in that gun and having that gun. Um, and I just like the fact that this movie is sort of a comedy, like a lot, all the, like we said, all the characters are going around doing silly, fun, dumb things like, uh, uh, what's his name? Inokichi, who was mm-hmm. Ushi, Ushitora's brother. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> his face, like the, the stuff he was doing with his face was, uh, always made me laugh. So I, <laughs> I really enjoyed seeing him do stuff. No, I mean, I, I think, I mean, there's something to that for sure. It's just for some reason, I, I couldn't fall into a groove with the tone of this movie. You know, with Army of Darkness, I, I kind of knew going into it. OK, this is a this is a silly horror, basically. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, the silliest of horrors with Evil mm-hmm. Dead 2. It's it's a silly horror that's just kind of silly mm-hmm. with this. I don't know. I, I think maybe it was the the straight character in Sanjiro that maybe threw me off some mm-hmm. because it's almost like uh, Mr. Rogers. You know, when he goes into the land of make believe, you've got <laughs> Mr. Rogers, the the one human and everyone else is like this crazy little weird puppet. that's just like and he's just like, oh, hello, Mr. Tiger. And. Tiger's like, burr, 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 burr. oh no, I don't know. <laughs> Except then the tiger like pulls out his gun and she kills somebody. And yeah. so Mr. Rogers has to put him down with a sword. <laughs> like that image is uh, going to be burned in my skull. <laughs> it was, it was just, I don't know. I had a hard time adjusting to the tone. Um, I do want to say this, that I may be getting ahead of myself a little bit, but mm-hmm. uh, this movie the first 30 minutes or so, I had a real hard time getting into it. Uh, I was sitting here watching it and I was just kind of like, this is not good. But then there's a turning point. And when that turning point kind of hit, and, and I can't tell you exactly when that point was, um, but there was a point where I stopped going, come on. And I started going, oh, and I got really <laughs> into it. Mm-hmm. So, um, it may, you know, while I'm not a, the biggest fan of the acting in general, uh, I did wind up enjoying this film quite a lot. It just took me longer than normal to get into the flow. Yeah. So something you said that not the Mr. Rogers thing. Well, it was the Mr. Rogers things, but but it sort of makes sense because you've got Sanjuro, who is this bounty hunter who is capable, wise um menacing sometimes and he goes he starts off the movie throwing a stick up in the air and then deciding yeah, and, and it's the goofiest looking throw too that <laughs> he's just like oh yeah it's so odd sorry yeah. go ahead i'm sorry but um, we can talk about that in uh, yeah in plot maybe yeah um but the fate takes him to this town and it is almost like he's entering a different world per se. Mm-hmm. Um, this small little Japanese village where these two gang members have or gangs have holed up and are just 
having their way with the town, uh, fighting over your uh, purchase of the town. Um, so it sort of makes sense what you were saying. Um, did you expect your Jimbo to be more like Harakiri? Maybe. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. I okay. did. Um, going into this movie and we're going to get into this, so we might as well say it. So this movie was, um, uh, essentially the plot was stolen and turned into a Western and that movie is a fistful of dollars. So if you've seen the movie, a fistful of dollars, basically you've seen this movie also. Uh, yeah. The only difference really is that um, one's a Western and one's a samurai film. Correct. And yeah, we can go ahead and move into plot because I think that's a good transition. But really, I mean, you're right. Uh, Fistful of Dollars basically plagiarized um, Yojimbo, which is why Sergio Leone was sued um, for making the movie. Um, I'm glad he did it because Fistful of Dollars is a great movie and I love Clint Eastwood. Um, But also Yojimbo sort of kickstarted the whole Western um, theme of, you know, hero riding into town, taking care of the bad guys and then leaving. Um, So there's been many, many uh, emulations of of this story or this plot. Uh, But anyway, let's talk about the plot because you you didn't you didn't like the acting, but you said that you came around to the movie. So is it because of the plot? OK, uh, yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, I do want to say and I think I started to say this earlier, but when I started watching this movie, I had no idea that this movie was a fistful of dollars. I didn't know that I was completely clueless to that. So I came into this movie blind, just knowing that it was an Akira Kurosawa samurai film. And I was like, all right, bring it on. Mm-hmm. I, I started watching it and I, I hadn't been watching it for 10 minutes. And I was like, this is a fistful of dollars. Like this is the same movie. And then I looked it up and turns out, well, actually, yeah, it, it is. <laughs> this was uh, and there's a big lawsuit to prove it, but um, you know, once I got over that initial shock, like I said, the, the beginning parts of the movie were a little hard for me to get into. Um, you've got some parts where the the most striking one I can think of is when he's riding into town for the first time. You've got this music and the music's kind of sinister and there's disaster everywhere. Like the town's run down and it just looks rough. And then all of a sudden the music gets kind of happy and it's just like this. Da, 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 da. And a dog trots up with a severed human hand in its mouth. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> That was an odd choice of music. What's going on here? Now, in (laughs) retrospect, it makes more sense because now that I know the tone of this movie, um, I I kind of understand that a little more. But that just right off the bat, I was just like, what in the what? Like, why are we playing happy music over this kind of horrifying scene? And what the heck happened here that this dog is just running around with a hand? (laughs) And I was a little confused going into it because you come in and you find out that, you know, 
the the first thing you see is uh, him throw the stick in the air and then he starts walking in the direction of the stick and he comes to a town where you see a dad and a son fighting uh, the son saying, you know, I'm going to go, dad, you can't stop me. And the dad's like, you're going to get into gambling and it's nothing but trouble. And um, he, he just runs off. He's like, this is an important fight. I can't miss it. And I'm like, what what is happening? And then the dad starts going off about silk and how nobody works hard anymore. And, uh, you know, I drew the conclusion that, well, maybe there's some kind of a festival in town where they're going to have a big tournament of fighters and they're going to sell silks and stuff. And he's going to bet on the fight. And then, you know, I was trying to figure out what was going on. And when, you know, he goes into town, we see the dog and I'm just like, huh? <laughs> and then I, it just gets a little deeper and deeper and deeper until finally, um, you know, it clicks. And then once it clicks, I'm kind of fighting the whole, well, okay, is this serious? Is it goofy? What is this movie? And mm -hmm. um, it wasn't until about midway through that I really started just not caring anymore. You know, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy this for what it is. And whenever I hit that point, everything got better. Mm -hmm. uh, and I got, I got sucked in and, you know, the last half of the movie I loved. It's just that that first half, I don't know. I had a hard time getting into it. And, you know, maybe I was in a weird mood going into it. Who knows? You know, um, it eventually won me over, but it was I was a tough sell. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think the like I said, the, the plot has been it's so regardless of the tone, the basic plot is so simple and easy to set up that I that one of the reasons I think it's been emulated so much mm -hmm. um, you've got Senjuro who you start the movie and uh, we're following him he throws a stick up in the air and he leaves it to chance where he's going and that right there tells so much about his character um, and he hasn't even really done anything he just he swaggers over to a stick in the ground, throws it up in the air, and then heads that way wherever it's mm -hmm. pointed. And that tells you, you know, you know, he's he's a wanderer. He doesn't really care where he's going. He's kind of a free spirit. Um, and the fact that he's wandering, and based on what he's wearing, you assume he's a Ronin. Um, <clears throat> and so, within minutes, we know a lot about our main character. Mm -hmm. uh, then he goes into the town and as you said, <laughs> there's a dog with a severed hand uh, walking towards him. And it was, uh, it was a little jarring, but it also indicates, you know, it's like this town, there's something weird going on in the town. Um, and within minutes, he's met the, the tavern keeper and he's decided I'm going to go, I'm going to go uh, face some of these gang members and uh, maybe make some money off of this situation. And I, <laughs> when he ends up within five seconds, killing two men with his sword and then just walking off, mm -hmm. I was like, that is the coolest thing ever. Um, it shows how skilled he is as a swordsman. Um, and he knows exactly what he's doing. And uh, I think this movie really 
captures that feeling of this in control dude going in, doing what he does best and taking care of business. So what you're talking about there, there's, um, there's two things I want to pull out of it. One, um, you know, when he's kind of getting the lay of the land on this town, he, he rolls in, he sees the dog and he goes straight into a little restaurant and walks in and he's greeted by um, an, an older guy who runs it. And he's pretty down on the town. He's like, this place is terrible. He's like, I'll, I'll feed you. And then you've got to get out of here or you're going to die. There's nothing but death here. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he's like. The only food I've got is cold rice because I don't get any business anymore. And he's like, you can have this. And he's like, I know you can't pay. You don't even have to tell me. He's like, I'm not going to charge you. Just eat the rice and go before you wind up dead. Mm-hmm. And then he uh, in one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. And um, I'm debating on if it's going to win us in a cinema spice award. If it's going to win a spice <laughs> award for me or not. But uh, he then he starts introducing all the main players in the town. And it's funny because his restaurant is kind of in the center of everything. And so he'll run to one side and he'll pull up a window and he's like, this house, this is this gang. And then they're terrible and they're awful and stay away from them. And then he runs over and he opens another window and he's like, that's the mayor's house. He's the constable and he's terrible and you want to stay away from him. And then he runs over to the other window and opens it. And he's like, that's the other gang's house. They're terrible. They're awful. They want to kill everyone. Stay away. And I I love that scene. Um, But anyway, uh, you know, Sanjiro, he hears all this and he's like, I've decided I'm going to stay. And the guy's like, are you crazy? Did you listen to a thing I just said? You're going to die. And he's like, I'm a man who's only really good at killing and fighting. And he's like, there's a lot of death here. You've said, I think this is a pretty good place for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's that's good. I like that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I thought that was really good. Um, I wanted to talk about the fights. Mm -hmm. The fights in this movie are unconventional compared to every other samurai sword fighting movie I have ever seen. Um, The fights are fast. Most of them are settled in one sword slash and quick movements with little music and not a lot of sound work. And um, it's really different. And it, the first time you see that is in that scene that you were talking about when uh, mm-hmm. he's like, who's the strongest here? And he walks over and he's like, I want you to hire me here to watch what I can do. And he goes over there and he cuts down three or four people. Uh, that whole scene takes about six seconds to cut them all down. Probably not even that long. He's just like, wow. And then he's done and he's walking away and there's three guys on the ground. Mm-hmm. That was really jarring for me at first. And my first gut reaction was that was a terrible fight scene. <laughs> that was awful. What was that? Like, it, it just looked like nothing. But I have to admit uh, that I mold on that a little bit and it's grown on me. Um, and I feel like maybe, you know, that's a more realistic fighting style, more likely. That's probably closer to what the fights really looked like. It wasn't a bunch of choreographed clanging of swords. It was a bunch of slashes and falling, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, while at first I wasn't a big fan of it, it, it did grow on me over time. And I'm really curious to know what you thought of how they did the fights in this film. Oh, I absolutely loved the 
the combat. Um, I made a note in my notes to that. That is one of the quickest battle scenes or fight scenes I've ever seen, but it was one of the best fight scenes I've ever seen because it's, it's all, it's all build up once again, like you've seen Mifune like, or Sanjuro, he's got his arms inside his kimono. He's swaggering over, he's rolling his shoulders. He scratches his chin. Um, He's chewing on like a, on something. Um, he's cool, calm, and collected. And he rolls into that town. And he know he talks to the tavern keeper. He knows the dangers. He knows what's going on. And he's like, "Yes, this is where I belong." Yeah. Uh, and so he he's obviously, um, at first you think he's just a bounty hunter or kind of a a guy who takes a mercenary, maybe a guy who takes. Uh, jobs for money to the highest bidder. Um, and so he rolls over to these gang members and he, within seconds, he does away with two or three of them. And he talks to the, the coffin maker and he's like, I need two coffins set up and possibly a third at noon or something. And just mm-hmm. keeps walking. And <laughs> it's just, it's really awesome. And there's only what, Two or three fight scenes in this movie, really? It depends on what you consider a fight scene, but yes, I guess I guess only the ones with Sinjiro, I guess, because <laughs> there, there's some that are uh, attempts at fights, like uh, when right. he's perched when he's perched up above uh, the <laughs> two game a, That was a real interesting <laughs> scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, that probably was about the turning point, actually. That scene is when I really started great, getting into it. It's a great scene. But that also shows like he's this, he knows he's a puppet master. He's this guy. He's just pulling the strings and he's sitting atop this. Uh, I don't even know what it was. Some sort of. It's like a watchtower or something yeah. kind of thing. And he's watching these. Oh, the bell. It was the bell tower because the bell was yeah. up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's watching these cowardly gang gang members slowly inch toward each other, kind of swiping and backing up, swiping and backing up. And he's laughing the whole time because he knows mm-hmm. he knows exactly what he's doing. And I found that interesting, too, is that um, he kills those two or three guys and then he doesn't kill anyone else for a lot of the movie. It's mm-hmm. just him manipulating each each gang each side of the gang and um, getting them built up and trying to get them to fight themselves and take care of themselves without him doing, having to do much of anything. There are uh, a few messages in the movie or things that the, the movie is trying to tackle. Um, there's this idea of cowardice versus heroes, heroism. Um, so you've got obviously Sanjuro, who's the hero uh, and then you have uh, Tetsuya Nakadai's character who has a gun. And, you know, and back then your sword was honorable, like using your sword was the preferred method. And if you had a gun, that was considered cowardly because you're shooting someone from far away without engaging them in battle. Uh but then you had the general cowardice of the, the townspeople um, 
And so th- there was a big uh, message about that. Um, did you pick up on that? Maybe a little bit. Um, I mean, for the most part, I think I was still just trying to figure the whole movie out, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was subtle. I mean, most at, at face value, the movie was pretty cut and dry. I mean, mm-hmm. it was about Sandro coming in, taking care of business, um, having a change of heart near the end where he wants to save this, this woman who's been kidnapped by one of the, the gangs mm-hmm. and then getting caught <clears throat> uh, and paying the price for that. I did enjoy that scene where he gets beat up. Uh, it really, if you compare fistful of dollars to this in that regard, the scenes where he's getting tortured in this movie are much more effective. I think. Oh yeah. I agree with that completely. You have that large giant guy that is just throwing him around the room and the makeup effects where he's all cut up and stuff and he can barely walk. uh, That was, that was more believable than Mm -hmm. Clint Eastwood's uh, scenes. I'm actually, I'm, I'm trying to find the name of that actor. That's why if I've seen kind of mm. checked out at the moment, I'm over here trying to figure out who that guy is. I'm mm. having a hard time tracking him down, but um, yeah, the, the scenes where he gets beat up are, they're kind of brutal, honestly. Um, you know, they don't look like much visually really, but then you see the results of what's going on and you're like, gum, he's really messed up, you know? Mm. And, uh, you know, that kind of brings me to one issue I did have with the plot. And that was when he's caught by the that gang and taken and tortured. Mm-hmm. We get a shot of him hanging out at the tavern and uh, he gets a thank you note. And he won't read it. He refuses to read it. Well, the, the gang comes in and uh, they basically say we went on a recruiting mission. And we heard an interesting story. And basically they, they say that um, the story that he told wasn't true. And they think that he cut them down and they see the note and they read it. And then the camera just fades to black and pulls an outsiders on us. And in the next scene, we see Sanjaro beat up bleeding and sitting on the floor. That bugged me a lot. Did that not bother you? Like I wanted to, we needed to see him get captured. I see. Um, I'm not. Yeah, I guess I could see where he, um, maybe he would have defended himself and ended up getting out of it because, well, they took his sword. Yeah, yeah. The guy is holding his sword. Mm-hmm. And they do. Uh, it's after he gets captured, but they make mention that he's nothing without a sword. <laughs> yeah, the giant um, and the giant's there, right? It, it's the giant and it's uh, Unosuke. And then it's, you know, Inokichi. Inokichi, yeah. They're the three that's got him. And they're, I mean, they're three of the baddest dudes in town. So I don't know. It, even if it was just, if, they, if we saw the giant just club him across the head, that would have been enough. Mm-hmm. But instead, he's just sitting there and he's he's kind of 
holding the sake jar and he puts it down and then it fades to black and then he's waking up and he's he's all beat up. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's supposed to be how he perceived events. Maybe he got hit and doesn't remember it. And so it could be a take at that. But I feel like if that's the case, we needed a better clue that that's what was going on. Yeah. Um, I like that. I take of it, though. That may be uh, exactly what they intended with that. Uh, I did want to talk about the comedic elements of the movie because uh, mm-hmm. that was a fairly big part of it. Um, there's a, there's scenes where, you know, it's after uh, Sinjiro gets tortured and attacked, he escapes. And to get out of the town, he crawls in a coffin barrel and has, <laughs> has the tavern uh, keeper and the coffin maker car- try to carry him out of town. Mm-hmm. And... They stop because the gang members are having a issue, or they're so they're burning. Going on. They're burning down the house of the other gang. That's right. They're burning and down they're the house, murdering the, everybody as they come out. Yeah. So they stop, and the coffin maker gets scared and runs off, and so the tavern it's, keeper can't carry him by himself. The way the way they handled that was genius. By the way, yes. first of all, he's half dead. He can't even walk, and they're sneaking him across town. And he's like, what are they doing? What's all that noise? And they're like, they're burning down the house. He's like, stop. I want to see him. <laughs> and so they set him down and he like peeks through the lid and he's like, I'm not close enough. You got to move me a little more. And they're like, are you serious? And he's like, yes. And they're like, okay. And so they take about three steps forward and put him down. And he's like, oh, oh. And you see him kind of peeking through, not hiding at all. Like it's so obvious this lid is moving up and down. Yeah. And then you zoom in on the house and you see some really horrible stuff going on there. Like they're just killing people one at a time as they come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you come back and the guy's like, all right, I've seen enough. Let's go. And so uh, our, the tavern guy, he's like, all right, let's do it. And so he grabs the pole and he's like, what? 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 <laughs> and the coffin maker's just gone. <laughs> like we don't see him run off. He's just, he just disappears during the thick of it. Yeah. And uh, what follows is really funny too, but. Yeah, that, yeah, there's 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 some good funny stuff in here for certain. Yeah, a lot of a lot of levity, a lot of good comedic uh, moments. Uh, a lot of the comedy comes from the gang members themselves, mm-hmm. um, because it seems like they're all just idiots. Mm-hmm. Every one of them, they're just dumb. They <laughs> they do the weirdest, most random things. Their actions, a lot of times, don't make any sense at all. Um, it's just, uh, it's awfully strange in some cases. Yeah. Uh, the constable who comes out, the constable (laughs) rings the bell every, you know, tells the the hour or what time it is. And he ends up getting, uh, flanked on both sides by gang members. And he's like, and runs back in his house. That was uh, Hansuke, right? Played by Ikkyo Sawamura. He always had like this silly face. Always. He was always had like this goofy kind of half grin. Or actually, no, it was a full on just like grin, grin. And he was yeah. always like happy sounding and he, he was odd. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was always fun, though. And then, of course, you had uh, Tazaimon, I think was his name. The uh, the silk guy who's always beating on his prayer drums. Mm-hmm. That was an interesting scene with him at the end, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, he well, he was so the reason he was doing that was because uh, the other guy, Toku, Tokuimon, mm-hmm. they there was an issue between those two, <clears throat> and Tokuimon did something to. Uh, he opened up. He opened up another. Like he was the silk merchant, and then the other guy opened up silk too. Yeah, and uh, as a result, his business started doing badly. Yeah, and so uh, Tezamon was banging his drum in the hopes of I forget what, but anyway, at the end, things the town is cleared of the gang members. So he comes out, he's banging his drum, and then he realizes that he has a moment where he can take down Tokumon <laughs> and ends up uh, going into his house and killing him. But this whole scene, like it's right after uh, Unosuke, Unosuke gets killed. And he t- he dies for it for like twenty minutes. By the way, yeah, uh, he finally passes, and then as soon as he's gone, you hear dong, 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 and he comes out looking just goofy with his eyes all wide and his mouth open. Oh, dong, 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 <laughs> and then he he bangs his gong or his drum, his prayer drum. He bangs it all the way into the other guy's house. And then you just hear a, ah! and then he comes out covered in blood and he just walks into his house and closes the door. I'm just like, yeah. what just happened? What in the world? Uh, that's great. Okay. We need to. All right. So the plot, we, uh, I liked it a lot. You sort of liked it. I liked it. I, I did enjoy the plot. I, I feel like it was a slow starter for me, but once I got in there, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think there's just so much like you can take it at face value, like we said, or there's a lot of deep messages that he's trying to get to in this movie. Um, But then there's this comedic element that just it can throw you for a loop for sure. Um, But it's good stuff. Like, I think it really makes the movie entertaining and fun to watch. Um, So art direction and cinematography. Anything to note there? There's a few things I want to note there. Okay. Uh, despite all of the issues that I've had with this film so far, this aspect of the film could not be further from an issue for me. It was fantastic. Uh, Kurosawa, um, from what I've seen in his movies, is just a, a master when it comes to setting up these shots and getting these amazing looking just scenes the oh my gosh there's so much and and this you know this is cinematography i guess but it's gorgeous together it's absolutely gorgeous from start to finish the movie's beautiful um then you get into some of those the special effects shots like uh the fire uh burning or the the sake drums spewing water or the dust billowing out of the background and filling the air wind blowing all the time uh the rain uh scenes man it's just so pretty and it's Mm -hmm. black and white and it's gorgeous and i'm gonna do this again because I do it every time we watch one of these, I cannot recommend enough these Criterion Collection renditions. Mm-hmm. It's just, oh, it's so pretty. Um, this movie, 
it's worth watching just for the visuals. Uh, it, it, they're that good. Um, highly, highly, highly want like recommend watching it for that. And I've got top praise for it in this regard. Whew. Good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> every, every yeah. scene's a treat. Every single scene is a treat to watch. I figured you would like it. Um, I actually thought you'd really like get into the whole movie, but I wasn't sure. Um, but I was certain about the cinematography and everything. You were dead on. I, yeah. I loved every second of it. Yeah. You know, there's uh, even there was one shot in particular. I'm going to go ahead and bring it up. Mm-hmm. There's a shot where we're following a man kind of running through some woods or through a fence or something. And mm-hmm. it's real fast. The guy's running and the camera's panning with him fairly close to him. So you're moving at a good tick. You never lose focus for a second on that man's face, despite the fact that there are like bamboo sticks or, or, or fence posts. I don't remember what it is, but in between you and him going by super fast, mm-hmm. it never loses focus. And it's just such an achievement there's a ton of scenes. I could talk a long time about them and I won't because we're already running long, but uh, just man, super impressed. Yeah, uh, I 100% agree. Um, this is just great camera work. Uh, not anything with like weird angles or just nothing like that, but he knows exactly where to put the camera. Um, whenever the gang members are facing off against each other, he knows to put the camera in a far, a far place to have a a wide shot of everything. Um, there's a scene where, and we already mentioned it, where uh, Sanjuro's perched on top of a bell tower and uh, in close in the camera, you see the gang members slowly creep into the frame and he, you see him up at the, at the top mm-hmm. and just laughing. And that's a great positioning of the camera just to have that happen. Um yeah, the, the rain, the uh, weather effects, the wind, uh, which was clearly blown by a large fan, but it didn't matter. It, it didn't like, at all. It was great. And it's usually when Sanjuro's facing off or coming into town, the wind is just blowing extremely uh, quickly and blowing up dust and stuff behind him. The great effect. Um, yeah. It almost felt like the camera at most times was attached. Like it wanted you to be one of the gang members. Um, That's what it felt like to me. Um, And the set design, I mean, it looked exactly like a small Japanese town and it probably was. Uh, I'm not sure if they built that set for this movie or not. Um, But everything's created beautifully. Uh, I love the buildings where like the the restaurant where he pulls up the slat mm-hmm. in the wall and you can see out and then he closes it. It's almost like a little fort. <laughs> he's, yeah. He's in. Um, yeah. And, you know, um, I want to talk two things I want to bring up here, too. One, the fact that this is a black and white film. I honestly can't imagine this being in color. Uh, yeah. I think color would ruin this movie. 
the the way it's shot yeah. and the the contrast and the way that they're using the light to film it, mm-hmm. it's it's some of the best black and white work I've ever seen. And I feel like if you put this in color, it would ruin the the experience. Yeah. Um, um, another. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. The other thing I wanted to bring up uh, in regards to this was the sound editing. Mm-hmm. The sound was on point. Uh, it was crisp. It was clean. It was well edited. It was a bit exaggerated at times, but when they exaggerated it, it just served to deepen the experience of the movie. Uh, the rain, like you were talking about, for example, there's a there's a scene where you're just looking out of a window and you're watching the rainfall and the rain's a little louder than it probably should be. But as a result of that, that gorgeous shot of the rain falling and that splattering in your ears it's just awesome mm-hmm. so awesome yeah um i was gonna mention i was gonna mention i was gonna mention um there's a video game that came out recently on the playstation called ghosts of tsushima mm-hmm. and there is actually a mode called kurosawa mode and it makes the entire game in black and white hmm and that shows just how influential Kurosawa was uh, with his movies. Like there's an entire game mode in a video game <laughs> devoted to his uh, his uh, camera style and his the way he made movies. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, I may have to check that out. I've been a little afraid of that game, to be honest with you, but uh, I may have to check it out. OK, visual effects. This would be costumes, makeup, CG. All right. Uh, so costumes, A plus, A plus, 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 plus. The costumes are incredible. They're a little goofy, but they're incredible. Uh, makeup, mm-hmm. I've got to go with like a C, maybe a D. Uh, the makeup's <laughs> pretty, pretty poopy. Uh, <laughs> in particular, um, I'm looking at um, good old Inokichi. Uh, with yeah. his ridiculous taped on eyebrows that he's got going on. Uh, the wigs are bad. Like you can see the the nets underneath the hair. Mm. Um, not great a work on the uh, the makeup type stuff, but uh, the costumes are outstanding. Yeah. I love all of them look great. Yeah. Costumes are great. <clears throat> um, really authentic. Um perfect look for for this movie um in particular i wanted to point out uh sinjiro uh when he was tortured the look of his hair just tussled around and undone and he's Mm -hmm. almost looks uh feral almost uh very visually striking Um, i um i do want to give some points here to the no for lack of a better word gore because most of that looked really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When the arms get cut off, the severed hand looked great. Uh, when he's all beat up, he looks he looks really like he's just been beat to hell. Yeah. Um, that stuff was great in terms of makeup. It's just the uh, well, mainly my issue was the wigs and the eyebrows and I guess hair attached hair that looked yeah. like it had been put on with tape. And you know. Um an example of this comes to mind, but Back to the Future, mm-hmm. uh, part two or part one, 
when they did the remasters or the remake, uh, the remasters for the Blu-rays, uh, the makeup effects suffered because the def- high definition was so good that you could see on Christopher Lloyd's face, you could see the seams where his makeup started and ended. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if that was part of it and that like Kurosawa was like, there's not, they're not going to ever be able to tell because of there's no movie theater that can show this in, in a, in such a yeah. high fidelity that it would matter. Um, yeah, that's a real good point. And it, you may be exactly right. If you watch this in its original definition on a theater screen, you probably can't see that stuff. Yeah. I don't know if that's what happened or if they just, you know, they just didn't do a great job on the makeup effects, but and honestly, I didn't. I noticed Ichiro's uh, eyebrows, but I didn't notice the hair or the the netting or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, score. <laughs> Tell me what you thought of the score. It's different. There's a lot of percussion, a lot of banging, <laughs> um, a lot of mood switching uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the tone. Like uh, case in point, the the dog with the hand, like you've got kind of this uh, sinister sounding like, oh, no, music when he's walking into town. And then the dog trots up with the hand and it starts playing this light little song that that's terrible. That's absolutely not what it sounds like, but I'm trying to convey <laughs> the emotion of the song there. Um, it wasn't bad, but it was uh, not good either. I will say it's pretty unique. Uh, I haven't heard a lot like it. Yes. um, I had a similar feeling about it. I thought the the score was good. um, But it did seem like they were context switching really quickly. Um, at, at, At a point, you get used to it and you understand what they're doing. Um, but it starts out with the movie starts out with sort of a similar, uh, score to Harakiri. It's very, you know, dramatic, uh, suspenseful. And then you see Sanjuro and it goes into this big band jazz number. And it's like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and, uh, it's really weird. And then they get into town and it's more. You know, you get those comedy beats. Um, and I think the score does a, do a good job there where it leverages it and it kind of conveys this comedic uh, tone that it's trying to to convey. Um, but it's it's weird. I agree. Um, now, uh, Jared in the chat uh, pointed out something that we haven't mentioned yet that probably does have an effect here. And that is that uh, this is a Japanese film. I created for a Japanese audience. And so there's a difference in musical cultures uh, between what we're accustomed to here and what they are there in Japan. And so Mm -hmm. I have no doubt that that's something that came into play here. Oh, sure. Yeah. I I mean, there are different. Yeah, there are different cultures. So it it could be that. I, like I said, I got the what it was trying to do after a moment, but it was where it like it started suspenseful and thrilling, and then it 
moved to Sanjuro and it was this swaggery, you know, I'm, I'm cool kind of mm-hmm. uh, theme, uh, which fits him, but <laughs> it was just weird to go qu- so quickly to that, that right. music. But overall, I like, I like the score. Um, it just, it was a little weird. Yeah. And I can see where it would be off putting to some people. Uh, is there anything that we didn't cover in those categories that you want to mention? Nope. Um, there is one scene that I wanted to mention uh, when they are trying to trade the girl for Ushitora's oh, son. I did. I did think of one. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. They're trying to trade this girl for Ushitora's son uh, in the movie. And the girl starts running towards her son who is yelling for her mother or his mother. And I think his name is Sebe or Sebe. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the gang leader of one side. He's got her, she's tied to a rope and he's trying to hold on to her. <laughs> and she's so s- strong willed about getting to her son that he can't even keep her uh, reined in. <laughs> and it's a very, <laughs> it's a very funny uh, set of events. Uh it's hard to describe, but and, you know, that's a good illustration too uh, of how this movie was a little confusing to me at times. What's that? Well, like this is a pretty serious scene. They've got the mother, the, mm-hmm. the son is like crying out to his mom and reaching through the, the windows or the bars to try to, to reach to her because he wants his mom and she's screaming in agony like, Oh my baby and running to him. But you're right. Like, even though the context of the scene is pretty dramatic, overall, the scene feels silly. Mm-hmm. And that, that's exactly, I think, what I'm what I've been trying to say that I had a hard time with in this film is that's how true. to take it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and I love I love the deliberate Western vibes. Uh, it feels like a Western um, all you'd have to do is change Sanjuro out for a gunslinger. Say Clint Eastwood. <laughs> That'd be a good choice. Yes. I think he's the perfect fit. You're right, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Set him up as a character who doesn't have a real name, similar to Sanjuro. Yep. Who, uh, I don't know if we're, I don't remember that we've mentioned this or not, but Sanjuro's names never actually really provided in the film. Uh, the only reason we know it is because it's how he's credited. Yeah. Put him, put a little poncho on him and have, have him, him ride a mule, grab a straw or a cigar. Yeah. Instead of chewing on a stick, you can have a little cigar. That's a good idea. And instead of we, like the samurai outfit, we'll put uh, him in like a, like a, like a parka or something, you know, like a, a long drapey Western outfit kind of. Yeah. I think we're onto something. I think maybe that could be a hit. Yep. We could make it part of a trilogy of films. <laughs> like the man with no name trilogy or something. But now, and that's something <laughs> um, probably we'll wind up doing a cinemini on this at some point. But uh, it's extremely interesting to me to see the overlap that you see, not just in this film uh, where it's obvious, but in, in almost any of these older samurai Japanese films and American Westerns. There's such an overlap between those films. They're they're so similar um, in a lot of ways, and I think that's super interesting. Mm-hmm. I love it. 
And it makes me wonder which one's modeled after which, right? Like, are these samurai <laughs> movies modeled after American Westerns? Are American Westerns modeled after these samurai films? The answer is probably both, right? Yeah. But um, who who started it? Where did it come from originally? You know? Yeah. Is Magnificent Seven the origin? I don't know. Yeah, I think you have a chicken egg problem. But yeah. I do I do think they influenced each other uh, for certain. I think it's really cool, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really, really cool and super interesting. Uh, what was your miscellaneous? Did you remember? Oh, yeah. I had a miscellaneous. There is a scene in which uh, our samurai hero uh, cuts an arm off of somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets into a sword fight and he swings his sword and the guy's arm falls off. I was mm-hmm. watching this movie with a friend of mine. Um, his name's Josh. And he pointed out something to me that I didn't catch and that I think is pretty amazing. That scene where he cuts the arm off is the ca- cantina scene. Cantina? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. From Star Wars, A New Hope. Oh, yeah. And it was. It was the same scene. Like the choreography, everything, it, it lines up. Uh, where, uh, you know, Luke's getting picked on and Ben takes the lightsaber and cuts the, the arm off of that one thing. And then it mm-hmm. shows the arm laying. It's like the same scene. <laughs> so, um, I think without a doubt, we can say, uh, George Lucas had some, uh, influence come from this movie oh, and yeah. probably a number of other samurai oh, yes. films. Certainly. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm not going to go into it here cause I don't remember exactly, but there's, there's another, uh, Japanese film that is heavily inspired that heavily inspired Star Wars. Mm. <clears throat> that was a lengthy review, but I think we did a decent job of distilling it down. <laughs> now it's time for your star rating or your overall review and or overall thoughts and your star rating. Overall thoughts and star ratings. Uh, number one, this movie's beautiful. Uh, you don't need another reason to see this movie. Go see it because it is so dang pretty. Uh, number two, if you like samurai movies, you need to see this movie. Regardless of what I say about it or what you hear, um, this is quintessential viewing for samurai cinema, so to speak. Uh, it's one of the classics. Um, three, you should watch it because it's Akira Kurosawa and you need to see his movies. Uh, four, it's a slow starter, or at least it was for me. It's a little silly at times, and it's really hard to figure out the tone of this film and how you're supposed to feel. Uh, it's really strange to look at something and feel horrified and silly at the same time. Uh, that works in horror comedy, but I, I just it, it's not worked for me yet in samurai movies. Um <laughs> The characters are ridiculous. Everyone's an idiot except for Sanjiro. And all in all, when it's all said and done, this movie's fun to watch. I would watch it again happily. And it's gorgeous. So uh, I'm going to wrap all that up, plus all the negative stuff I've said. And I'm going to slap this one with a... Oh, is it going to be a six or a seven, John? It's going to be a six or a seven. I'm going to give it a six. Okay. Although I'm really tempted to give it a seven. It's like a six, four, nine. Six, four, nine. 
No, no, no. Never mind. Scratch it. Cut. It's a seven. <laughs> you heard it here. It's seven. Scratch it. Reverse it. I love this movie. Uh, it is my kind of movie. Uh, if you've just joined us, I compared this sort of to like Evil Dead 2, which is a horror movie with some comedic elements. That and John I feel like might be rather fond of. I'm rather fond of it. Um, this movie is a samurai movie that is a drama and an action movie, but it also has these comedic elements. <clears throat> and I don't think for one second that Akira Kurosawa did anything by accident. And I think he made these characters silly and dumb on purpose um, to convey these despicable people not worth redemption, uh, how they act in, in the movie versus. Sanjuro, who is cool, calm, collected. He's not really that funny or uh, anything like that. Um, the action is quick and uh, awesome. Um, the set design and camera work is masterful. Uh, it, you'd be hard-pressed to find anything better or at least as to its equal. Um, the score is a little weird. Uh, I think it it fits in the movie eventually, but at first it'll probably be a little jarring once you, until you figure out what's going on. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's a great movie. And like Matt said, it's it's an important movie. It's informed a lot of movies going forward. It, a lot of movies have emulated it um, without this movie. Film history would be different. So I would have to give this a nine out of 10. All right. It makes me feel better about going up to the seven. (laughs) (laughs) You can go ahead and go up to a nine if you want. No, I'm not going that high (laughs) with it. I didn't think it was that good, but it it was good. (laughs) Let's do some spice awards. awards. We only have three categories tonight. Uh, best actor, most underrated performance, and favorite favorite scene. Best actor. Um, for me, I went with, uh, this is really hard to say. I apologize if you know how to say these correctly. I'm going to do my best. Uh, Eijiro Tono, who played uh, Ganji, the tavern keeper. This was a neutral character. Uh, He was a guy who stayed out of the feud between the two gangs. All he wanted to do was be grumpy and sell his rice and sake. He was Sanjiro's ally throughout the film. And I just really enjoyed his character. He, He was one of the ones that wasn't goofy. He was, but he wasn't like goofy, goofy. Do you know what I mean? He was crotchety old man goofy. Yeah. And I enjoyed every scene he was in and he's just, he's my guy. I liked him a lot. Um, you know, the, the obvious choice is the one I'm sure that you've chosen. Um, <laughs> How dare but, you assume? Uh, well, I mean, Toshiro Mifune is amazing in this. Um, so, you know, I wanted to pick him, but I also didn't want to, uh, I didn't want us to both pick him. And I was almost positive that you would. So I, mm. I went with my second best, honestly. I see. Uh, well, Ejiro 
Ejiro Tono is my most underrated performance. Nice. And that's a good choice. Yeah, I think he did a great job. He was he wasn't silly. And that's where I think he was the most um, likable and uh, good character in the town besides Sanjiro and maybe the girl and the yeah. and, his, and her family. And so I, that's where I kind of tracked that he he wasn't silly. And so he was worthy of of this of of being saved. Mm-hmm. And he sort of ended up being uh, Sandro's friend, confidant, and uh, helping him his, out and stuff. His only real ally in the whole town. Yeah. Well, uh, until he saved the lady and the boy. Yeah. Um. He, he had a great performance. <clears throat> uh, as Matt alluded to, I did pick Toshiro Mifune as Sandro, or the man with good. no name. <laughs> good. 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 I figured uh, you would. If both of us did that, it wouldn't have worked. So it was kind yeah. of a gamble. The old man at the start of this movie would yell at me for gambling. But uh, I so Fistful of Dollars, we keep mentioning this movie, but it's the same movie. So that makes sense. <clears throat> Clint Eastwood portrays that character so perfectly. Oh, um, yeah. And it needs to be someone that can express themselves without saying anything. Um. And Clint Eastwood does a great job. Toshiro Mifune also does a great job in that. He, as I said in the review, he walks around with his arms inside his kimono. Sleeves a dangling. Yeah, leaves leaves a dangling. Um, No, sleeves. Oh, yeah, sleeves. Not not leaves. I don't know. Maybe it cut out the S, but yeah. He's not dangling his leaves. He's dangling his sleeves. (laughs) Uh, yeah, he's just, uh, walking around carefree. Uh, he has sort of a scowl on his face. He's always adjusting his shoulders. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why, but that, that was an interesting take. Um, he says, he says one sentence, uh, up until about 10 to 12 minutes into the movie. And then he starts actually talking. Mm -hmm. Um, Thought that was great. They, they didn't. He didn't just start blurting out words. He was this kind of silent hero. <clears throat> um, he was. He clearly had great chore- choreography and uh, his combat and fighting. Um, he played a good mercenary type character, but also he had this change of heart, um, which I liked. And yeah. He's considered one of the best Japanese actors of all time. So, um, yeah, I think he it's well-deserved. Yeah, I agree. All right. Best actor, uh, Matt's pick was Ijiro Tano as Ganji, the tavern keeper. My pick was Tashiro Mifune as Sanjiro slash the man with no name. And my most underrated performance was Ijiro Tano as Ganji. Matt, what was your most underrated performance? Uh, for me, I gave it to, and you might think this pick strange given the things that I've said this evening, but I gave it to uh, Daisuke Kato, who played uh, Inokichi, um, basically the village idiot with the really bad taped on eyebrows. Yeah. Uh, he walks around with his mouth open all the time and his teeth showing just, <laughs> and, uh, you know, 
he I thought he did a great job, despite the yeah. fact that his character was silly. His character was supposed to be, um, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, um, simple, a, uh, a little bit simple, simple. Jack. Um, he he was easily influenced, but he was also really dangerous and he could be very violent at times. And I thought he played that character great. Um, it, it, he almost had like a, a Joker vibe to him if the Joker was um, special needs instead <laughs> of psychotic. Do you know what I mean? Like, you never yeah. know if he's going to do something silly or if he's going to just go crazy and start murdering folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know. I just thought he did a really great job. I like despite his ridiculous eyebrows when he's a. Uh we didn't finish the story about the coffin barrel, but um, <laughs> he ends up getting roped into carrying the co- carrying Sandro into the woods. <laughs> and yep. uh, he, then he gets yeah. mad because there's no ghosts there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. He's actually scared of the ghosts, but he uh, doesn't see any. And so he ends up running off because he, uh, no, he's like brothers. Hey, I'll help. Let me help you bury this body. And, uh, gone, uh, Ganji is like, uh, oh no, that's okay. Weren't you looking for somebody? And he's like, oh no, that's right. My brother's going to kill me. And he takes off running and that's how they keep him from looking in the barrel. Oh, Jay, Jared, uh, in the chat, he wanted to note that his most underrated performance was the gun wielding wiener. Uh, I yes. that was Tetsuya Nakadai. <laughs> uh, Unosuke, right? Yeah. Tetsuya Nakadai playing Unosuke. Yeah. Uh, and we haven't talked about him much. He was an interesting character. Yeah, I really liked him. Um, I like the way he was portrayed as this gun toting, uh, entitled gang member. Like, I mean, it's kind of interesting because gun toting, I mean, that's correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. But it was a small little pistol. Yes. And he, he carried a sword, too, didn't he? He just never used it. I thought I saw a sword on him. I'm sure he had a sword, but he always kept, he, he would pull that gun out of yeah. the top of his kimono. Yeah. And he always had it with him and he was always, he never, he never really saw him with a sword. It was always with the pistol. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, he was all about that pistol. He really like, that was his sword, I guess. Yeah. He was a good foil for Senjuro. I think he was if he didn't have the gun, he was probably going to be like the second best swordsman in the town. Mm-hmm. Um, it was clear that when they like walked past each other, they would kind of measure each other. He was also um, the only other one that didn't look like an idiot or act like an idiot in most cases. Right. Um, but he had that gun and I took that to mean that he was the coward. He was the one that would take the easy way out. <laughs> but I did like his performance and yeah, he had a... <laughs> He had a long dead death scene. Oh my gosh, he died for like 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> he gets cut down and then he lays there and he's just like, oh, and he's bleeding. And then, like, uh, you see a scene and it comes back and he's like, hand me my gun. <laughs> and he's like, by the way, <laughs> oh, it's getting dark. Oh. And then you have a scene and then he's like, wait. <laughs> it's just like, oh my gosh, come on, man. <laughs> And I wonder, I wonder if that wasn't an intentional silliness part of the yeah. movie. It yeah, he did have a psychotic vibe to him, for mm-hmm. sure. That does remind me about, um, so at the end, he pointed his gun literally in Sanjiro's face. He was going to shoot him. And he didn't flinch. 
I was wondering if like Sandro was either was just like ready for whatever eventuality would happen or if he knew that the gun wasn't going to go off or what. But yeah, I've I've thought about that a lot, too. I think Kurosawa was trying to say something there. Um, it, it may have been that his carefree spirit. Maybe he was just like, yeah, I'll just leave this up to chance. That's maybe good... maybe he kills me. Maybe he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could have been that he felt confident that he would never have the strength to do it. Um, the only thing we can say for sure is that he knew the gun was actually loaded because when he says, I can't like everything's black, I can't do it. The gun then goes off and hits the ground. So it was yeah. loaded and ready to shoot. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he just sits there and stares at him. He doesn't move a muscle. And uh, I, I do. I wonder about that, too, why he did that and what the purpose was behind it. Mm-hmm. I like <clears throat> I like your thought of he's just leaving it to chance, just like he did with the stick. That makes a lot of sense, because at the beginning, he leaves his journey to chance. At the end, he's leaving his life to chance. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's good stuff. Yeah, it makes me want to know more about that character. Like, see if I can track down a book about him or something. (laughs) All right. Matt's most underrated performance was Daisuke Kato, who played uh, Enokichi. Last category, favorite scene. So I've got two. (laughs) And I know that's cheating. It's the Um, mad way. (laughs) I know, I know. But I have two scenes that are my favorite. Um, the first one is the scene where Sanjiro comes into town and goes into the tavern and um, Ganji is showing him all the aspects of the town. So he's he's telling him how bad the town is as he's going from wall to wall, opening windows and pointing out all the relevant places. Uh, I just loved that scene. I thought it was awesome. Mm hmm. Uh, the second one is the scene we've already talked about it in at length, and that's the scene where he's hiding in that basket and um, <laughs> he he's peeking out and watching and then they carry him to the cemetery. So um, honestly, I really loved both of those scenes. So I always pick one. This time I'm actually going to pick two. Both <laughs> of those are my favorite scene. All right. I guess I'll allow it. I thought of you when I when we were when we were watching that uh, body basket scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Matt humor, and it's uh, I was cracking up. It made no <laughs> sense whatsoever. Like they're trying to be sneaky, and he's like, "Put me down so I can see." And he's like, "No, I'm not close enough. You got to move over there." And <laughs> freaking Ganji's like, "Are you serious? Fine." <laughs> they haul him a few more steps and. Like he looks like Oscar the Grouch trying to peek out of his trash can. (laughs) It's wonderful. I really like the scene where Sanjiro performs his first kills. I mean, Mm. it's it's so abrupt and shocking uh, if you're not ready for it. And it really indicates the type of combat they're going to display in this movie and just how skilled he is as a samurai. Um, and it shows how cool he is. Uh, it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, short of, uh, well, I'm going to have to, I guess, uh, I like the scene where, um, he's perched on top of that. Oh yeah. Tower. That's such a great scene too. Yeah. yeah. 
I guess that's because, the scene that really drew me in. Yeah. And the setup for that is like he decides he's going to he picks a side and he's standing there in front of those gang members. He's a and he's they're about to attack the other side. And he stops and he's like, I'm out. You're on your own. Uh, because he had heard the woman that's sort of the leader of this gang say that they were going to kill him after they took care of business. Uh, and he was like, this isn't happening. And so he bows out and he climbs up on this bell tower and the gang's like, well, we still got to do this. And so they start, they're so far away from each other and they're already <laughs> like, they'll swipe and then back up and then mm-hmm. kind of inch forward and back up. And they're so, <laughs> they're so dumb and scared. And it's just the whole time he's just laughing up on that tower. All right. Matt's favorite scenes is when uh, Sanjuro is hiding in the coffin and trying to get carried out into the graveyard. And when uh, Ganji is showing the town to Sanjuro through his windows. And my favorite scenes were when uh, Sanjuro uh, kills his first few gang members in the town. And when he's perched atop that bell tower uh, watching the gangs fight each other. All right. Hey, Matt. Hey, John. Did you know? Uh, Akira Kurosawa challenged his assistant directors to come up with an image for the film to let Sanjiro know he was entering a bad town. He shot down all of their ideas since all of them had already been done. Kurosawa then came up with the idea of the dog carrying the human hand. So I mentioned the sound in this film and how I thought it was excellent. Uh, the sound engineer was a, uh, a man by the name of Ichiro Minawa. Or Minawa. And uh, he had to come up with a sound that could be played whenever the sword was cutting into somebody and killing them. And uh, so he took a sword and he did some testing by cutting various pieces of meat with the sword. And he finally got his perfect sample by taking two wooden chopsticks, stabbing them into a raw chicken and then hacking at that with a sword. And so whenever you hear the slash of a sword killing somebody, that's actually a sword hitting a chicken with chopsticks in it. Um, we alluded to this during our uh, review, but uh, Sergio Leone was the director of the movie A Fistful of Dollars, which was a spaghetti western. Um, and it had a similar plot to uh, Yojimbo. Uh, however, Leone did not get officially get permission to remake the film, which was copyrighted. So uh, Kurosawa sued him and delayed the release date of Fistful of Dollars for three years. Hmm. Uh, Leone ended up paying him a sum of money plus 15% of the profits of the movie. Um, interestingly enough, Kurosawa himself stated that he based his movie on the glass key which was an adaptation of Dashiell Hammett's novel without ever, without officially crediting either source. Everything's derivative nowadays, John. That's true. So this movie has a sequel. Did you know that? I did. The name of the sequel is 
Sanjiro. Sanjiro, which is likely where the name of the character eventually comes into play. Uh, the movie Sanjiro uh, has in it Tatsuya Nakadai. Nakadai? Nakadai. Something like that. I'm sorry. It's the guy who played um, our pistol-wielding gang member. Uh, he is in the sequel playing the main villain in that movie. That's right. He was in the sequel and in this mm-hmm. movie. That's awesome. Not the same character, but the same actor. Right. Which is also like the Mammoth No Name trilogy because uh, Angel Eyes or whatever his name was, he was a different character mm. in those movies. But he was in all those movies. That's very funny. nice. Uh, we already mentioned this, but it's worth re-mentioning. Yojimbo means bodyguard. In Japanese. So the uh, the theme to this movie, the uh, Yojimbo theme song, you might say, was composed by Masaru Sato. And it was used in the 1990s on Irish TV uh, for beer commercials. Uh, for the beer Murphy Stout, to be specific. <laughs> um, the commercials that ran were in black and white. And uh, it showed a band of samurai roaming around Ireland, uh, <laughs> drinking Murphy's Stout beer. And uh, the ad, you know, they've been pretty, pretty public about the fact that the whole ad is a big homage to the works of Kurosawa. Uh, this film is included on Roger Ebert's greatest movies list. And it is part of the Criterion Collection, spine number 52, whatever that means. They number them as they release oh, right. them. Yeah. yeah. If you can see that. So that means this was the 50 to 52nd title released from the Criterion Collection, which I would love to have a full set of those. That would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this film is part of the Japanese genre uh, known as uh, Jedi Geki, uh, which can be translated into a period drama. Um, these films from Japan typically are set during the Edo period of, uh, Japanese history. Uh, the massive amount of dust seen being blown around about was actually imported by the truckload from an abandoned firing range. When the wind machine started, it was nearly impossible for the actors to keep their eyes open because they were being engulfed in the dust. When Tatsuya Nakadai was shooting his death scene... Over the course of three days, the combination of the fake blood and the blowing dust made him break out in hives that lasted for weeks after filming. That's cool. It was worth it. That <laughs> dust scene is iconic. And here we are. This film came out in 1961. It is the year 2021. And we're still looking at it and thinking, wow, that looks great. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a scene where two gang members... I uh, have to meet and they're supposed to meet at two in the morning. Uh, 2 a.m. is when the they're supposed to meet. Right. It's between mm-hmm. the gangs. Um, I, you know, and I, this might actually I think this is the scene where uh, Sandro is up on the bell tower. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's supposed to happen at 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, it is clearly broad daylight. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. definitely not 2 a.m. <laughs> That is true. (laughs) Never thought about that. That's going to be our episode for tonight. 
You can join us in two weeks when we will review the 1982 horror comedy anthology movie Creepshow, directed by George A. Romero. Really looking forward to that one. It's been a while since I've seen that. Mm-hmm. Leslie Nielsen's in that, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. And Ted Danson and Stephen King and various other people. Ted Danson. Stephen King's in all Stephen King movies, pretty much. <laughs> Uh, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to the Cinema Men Podcast. Um, head on over to cinemamenpodcast.com to check out new and old episodes. We love to hear from listeners, so if you have a suggestion or just want to give us your take on a movie, email us at feedback at cinemamenpodcast.com or check us out on Twitter at twitter.com slash cinemamenpod. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.